Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. And if you could welcome our lead pastor, Joe Source. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Happy Father's Day to all the moms that have to be the father and the dad. Amen. Yeah, give yourself, give yourself a hand. My goal today is to, while we're celebrating Father's Day and while we're kind of making a big deal about that, and, and bringing honor to the dads, fathers. The message I want to bring to you today is kind of aimed at dads, but it's really, really can be applied in anyone's life. When I think of fatherhood, and obviously we're all limited to our own experiences um, that shape us and mold us, I think the best way to describe fatherhood is influence. And um, the opportunity that a father has to influence his children is probably indescribable as far as the importance and the effect that it has on the life, uh, on the lives of individuals. But you don't have to be, just don't have to be a dad to have influence in other people's lives. See, it's God's desire for us as believers to, well, let's put it this way. Let's start from square one. It's God's desire that every person on the earth become a believer. When I'm talking about believer, I'm talking about believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he died on the cross for us, the fact that he purchased our salvation with his blood, and that once we become believers, then we're to become disciples, we're to grow. We're, to not, we're not to remain in an infancy stage as believers. And as we become disciples and as we continue in our, in our progression of becoming a disciple, we're supposed to be making other, obviously other believers and other disciples. We're supposed to reproduce. And the greatest way for us to do that is to have influence in people's lives. Uh, I never understood uh, any Christian that isolates themselves from people. Um, some people. Some people become Christians and then because of the depth of their lifestyle before, how they lived and, and to, the, to, to some, you know, the depth of sin, and there's a natural tendency sometimes to say, well, I got to withdraw myself from everything that's like that and not have anything to do with anyone. You're never going to be able to have any influence in anybody's life if you're going to isolate yourself. God's never called us to isolate ourselves. He called us to live holy. He called us to live separate lives so that people would see our lives and desire to come under the same influence that we did. But as we talk to, as it pertains to fathers, uh, and, and for this, really, moms and dads, we have a responsibility to make sure that we're influencing our children, influencing the next generation, influencing the, the people that are around us in such a way where they end up better than we were. Amen. Amen. My mom always had this saying. She used to say, hang around with the people that are better than you, not people that are worse than you, because they'll, they'll bring you up. If you hang around with people that are worse than you, they'll do what? Drag you down. And so, so we're supposed to be reproducing. We're supposed to be influencing. We're supposed to be 
creating individuals that are going to walk in greater faith than we do, that are going to walk in, in a greater intimacy with God, that are going to take serious responsibility for them also to reproduce in others. Influence is, is defined as the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone, to make an impact or to shape an individual's life. And, and this could be intimidating, could be one of the most intimidating facets of being a father, being a parent in general. The fear that we may have been a bad influence on our children's lives instead of an influence for good. And, and that's where God's grace has got to come in. My personal story, I became a Christian. I was born again at the age of 27. My oldest was only three years old at that time. So the other three that came along after that, they came into a family that was already influenced by the gospel. But I recognize that that's not that's not everyone's case. There are some of you um, that have come into this, this Christianity thing, this born-again experience, and, and come into a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ at an older age. I know there's some, I remember I had a very close friend of mine uh, at one point, you know, he became a believer, but he became a believer. He was almost 45, 50 years old at that time. His children were already older teenagers. And so his, his ability to influence them uh, was a little bit limited as opposed to my own experience where my children were, well, for the most part, born into this experience. And so to the, to the level where maybe you haven't felt like you've been able to be successful and, 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 and seen a good result of that, don't allow that to kind of weigh you down. You can still change. You can still start to have a better influence in your families and in your, in your, in your children. Um, just look at, you know, we know that God's the only perfect father. Yes or no? Yes. Is he a perfect father? Yes. Did he create everything in perfection? Yes. What happened to Adam? Yeah, chew on that for a little bit. <laughs> no, because I've had, I've had parents come to me and say, uh, Pastor, I don't know what to do, you know. We raised our kids in church, and we did everything, you know, we, put, we, you know, we had devotions at home, and we prayed with them before they went to bed, and, you know, we taught them the Bible and did the best we could, and now they're turning out to be like, they say, and I always go back to, well, look at God. God did everything he possibly could. God created Adam, and, and Adam created baggage. <laughs> and some of us are, are still, to this day, suffering under that same baggage that he created. I had this picture that came into my head while I was studying this. I don't know. I thought it was funny anyway. I pictured Adam going to a therapist, you know, because he's got all this baggage in his life. And you know the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned and turned away from God. And their previous state, they had been perfect. They were naked. They had no idea that they were naked. But after they sinned, after they fell away from God, God covered them with animal skins. And so I picture, you know, Adam going to this therapist and go, my dad made me wear animal skins, you know, and got embarrassed and stuff. So, so my point is, no matter what you do, as a parent, do, just do your best. Do your best. Now, now, do your best. Don't do your least and call it your best. Uh, and be all that you can be for your children, um, even for the, your siblings, your family. Somebody has got to start the line, the lineage. I know I, I've had the uh, responsibility of being the very first in my family uh, to become born again. And so I had this pressure on me, this responsibility to make sure that I set the right example, to make sure that I was walking in faith, to make sure that I was walking in the wisdom of God. And, and not so much to the point where you're afraid of, of, of people criticizing you. It was more like they, my family has never seen a person 
who's supposed to be born again. They've ne- they, don't, they don't know what that means. I didn't know what it meant. I had to learn as I was going along, as we all do. But I understood this, that I had, I had now the honor and the privilege of changing the course of the lineage of my family. That even those of you that may be sitting here right now and saying, well, you know, if you only knew the kind of family I came from, fine. Somebody's got to stop at some place. Somebody's got to say, this is it. It's not happening anymore. It is not coming to the next generation. And I remember, I remember making this conscious decision when I first got born again. Had a lot of baggage. Anybody, anybody here that had baggage? Any had baggage in the past? You're all lying. Every one of your hands should be up. How many of you know what it is like to have baggage in your life? Okay, so that stuff obviously will try to carry on and, 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 and you'll, you know, try to cling to you. And then in your born again experiences, you begin to allow the word of God to transform you and, and renew your mind. You, ideally, that baggage should fall off. But I remember there were certain things in my life I did not want to see transferred to the next generation. And I remember making this decision early on. In fact, it even started before I got born again, which might have been one of the triggers in my life to go and pursue God. I made this decision that if I had to live my life completely miserable for the rest of my life, if that's what it was going to take so that my children would not suffer from and be subjected to and be exposed to some of the stuff that I was, I would be willing to make that sacrifice. Of course, it was a foolish thing for me to pray that way before I was born again. But after I became born again, when the Holy Spirit became uh, my teacher, my leader, my guide, the the best definition of the Holy Spirit that comes out of the original Greek language is he comes together alongside of us to take hold against whatever is trying to run our lives and whatever is an enemy to us. And so... um, Somebody's got to make that, somebody's got to take that stand. And you see, some of you are sitting here today and you're almost tormented by the fact that it's Father's Day because you either didn't have a dad that was visible in your life or the one that you had might have been not, not been the most perfect one. But, but listen, you have the opportunity to change the course of history and the future of your family. And God, if you desire to, will equip you to make that change, to make whatever. You have to go before him. And this is moms, dads, anybody in general. We're going to reproduce something. We're going to influence people. My main goal today is to talk about influence. Every one of us is influencing somebody. Either we're influencing them for the good or we're influencing them for the bad. But every one of us has influence on other people's lives. And it's up to us to connect with God, to allow the Holy Spirit in us to flow out of us to make sure that when we are influencing people, uh, that we are doing it for the good, that we are actually making God attractive to them and we're not causing them to be repulsed. And every one of us know, and some of us in this room might have been that person, every one of us knows people who claim to be Christians, but their lifestyle does not speak that and does not um, give evidence to that. And what ends up happening? You might have been subject to that. And you might have said, I don't want nothing to do with that born-again Christian stuff because I know this one and I know that one and they've been nothing but a hypocrite and they say one thing out of their mouth but they do something else. You don't want to be that guy. Okay, turn to somebody and say, you don't want to be that person. Yeah, there's a lot of enthusiasm here. Uh, you don't want to be that person. It's important, okay? So, I think about Abraham. Abraham was chosen by God to literally 
become the foundation of not only a family, but a nation. But Abraham had a lot of faults and a lot of flaws. Abraham, it took him years to obey God. God tells Abraham, now Abraham was a very wealthy, even archaeology attested this fact. Abraham came from the area of what we would call today modern-day Iraq, the very southern part of Iraq, which is near Kuwait in that area there. That was the place where Abraham's family originated from. Archaeology tells us that he was a very wealthy man, a, a very uh, uh, successful businessman. He understood business. He wealthy, came from a wealthy family. And yet God calls him and tells him, leave everything you have, leave all your family, leave your culture, leave everything you're familiar with, and come to a land that I'm going to show you, a land that you know not. And so it took him years to obey God. He finally obeys God, gets to the place called Canaan land. And in Canaan, he gets there. He arrives just in time for a major famine to break out. There's no food. There's no water. He can't grow anything. Now, instead of trusting God, he takes his family and goes to Egypt. Now, symbolically speaking, let me tell you why that's important. Symbolically speaking, that is the same thing that we could, we could compare it to when you or I get into a, a, a real test of our faith, adversity, challenges, hardship, and instead of us standing fast and say, no, we're going to trust God, we start running to the world system to try to get relief. Okay? You and I are called to trust God. So Abram, instead of trust, trusting God to stand firm, knowing that God would provide for him, he kind of takes the easy way out, goes to Egypt. Egypt was not in a famine. But when he gets there, he realizes he's got a problem on his hands. See, Abram's wife, Sarah, is reputed to be one of the most beautiful women of her time. Abram's thinking to himself, if Pharaoh sees my wife, he's going to have me killed so that he can take her. So he comes up with this elaborate plan, and he tells Pharaoh that this isn't my wife, this is my sister. He introduces Sarah as his sister. And Pharaoh starts to get interested in Abraham's sister. <laughs> and it causes a big problem. And so Pharaoh ends up conducting himself more honorably than Abram, who is connected to God. And Pharaoh realizes one day who this Sarah really is and calls Abraham in, in before him in into, into his court, into his throne room, and says to him, how could you do this to me? How could you put me in a position for the wrath of God to come upon me and my household and my family? And, and you look at that picture and you go, wow, this guy who's worshiping idols is more honorable than the person who's supposed to be in covenant with God. And so Abram ends up, this is the, paraphrasing the whole scenario, Abram, Abram ends up obviously being embarrassed in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to him, listen, I'm going to give you this much gold, I'm going to give this much silver, I'm going to give this much cattle, just leave, just do me a favor and go, and take your sister with you. <laughs> and so Abraham comes out with like this, he leaves the place wealthier than he even was, takes advantage of this man and goes back. And, 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 and we see these kind of things. God then later on says to him, you're going to be the father of many nations. There's only one problem. He and, and Sarah haven't produced any children yet. And again, instead of trusting God, he falls for his wife's plan. His wife says, listen, why don't you just take my servant, my servant, just you guys conceive together and have a child. And the custom and the tradition was at that point that that child would have been considered Abraham and Sarah's. And so instead of trusting God, he goes, has his child. The child's name is Ishmael. You might have heard of him. He's the father of all the Arab nations that exist today. 
And so when we get to heaven, we're going to ask Abram, how did that work out for you, Abe? <laughs> you brought into this world a very race of people that are, you know, eventually come into conflict with. So all the situations that you see today between the Israelis and the Arabs and all this other stuff is just two cousins, two families fighting at each other, all coming from the same father. And that makes it so much more difficult and so much more emotional. But my point is this. Years later, God says about this Abraham, the liar, Abraham, the cheater, Abraham, the rascal. God says this about him. It's recorded for us in Genesis 18, verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abram will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Watch this, verse 19. God speaking, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. This is what, he, this is what it says in fancy language. God says, now I'm paraphrasing here. I want you to get the clear picture. With all the flaws that Abraham has, with all the imperfections, with all the tendency to do the wrong thing, I've chosen him because I believe he's going to be a good influence in his children's life. So when I hear that and I read that and I study that, I think to myself, wow, I got a chance. And every one of us, every one of parent, every parent that's ever been tormented by the thought, wow, I could have did this different and I could have handled that better and I should have done this and I should have done that. And, you, and, you, and, you, and you're constantly trying to overcompensate for the mistakes that you made. Stop doing that. Get rid of the guilt and condemnation. Go for the grace of God. Just say, Father, I, I did what I thought I could do at the time. I, uh, or, Lord, I was negligent. I didn't do what I should have done. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you now for cleansing me. But from this point forward, I give you the permission. Say, God needs your permission? Yeah, God is love. He's not going to act beyond what we permit him to do. God is never going to take you, just just throw you up against the wall and force you to do anything. Why? Because he is love. And so we give him permission for the Holy Spirit to come and transform us, using the word of God to bring us to a place where our minds are renewed, we're generated now, we're regenerated now, we do not have to do the things we used to do. Amen? We don't have to act the way we used to act. We don't have to treat people the way we used to treat people. We don't have to interact with our children the way we used to. We can't change. Amen? Amen. Uh, You don't sound like you believe me. Do you believe that you can change? Good. Then, Then take a step of faith and allow God to come in and help you to do an inventory. Why? Because he wants us to influence our children for the good. He wants us to set a good example. He wants us, he wants three, four generations from now to be conducting themselves because three, four generations ago, there was somebody that decided this family's going to change. This family's not going to be a bunch of drunks anymore. This family's not going to be a bunch of drug addicts anymore. This family's not going to be a bunch of sexual immorality, filled with immorality. This family's not going to be poor. This family's not going to be constantly sick. This family's not going to be constantly oppressed and depressed. Somebody's going to take a stand it's going to change. You listen it. For those of you who were raised in households where there was no father. And we realize that this is happening more and more and more. The great percentage of families in our country, in our nation, are being raised, children being raised without a father present. If that's you, if that's been your experience, my heart goes out to you. But we have a promise. 
And that promise is found in Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, verse 5, it describes God in heaven as a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. And the next verse starts out with this. God sets the lonely in families. Now, listen to, listen to what that statement just said. God sets. He takes you and he puts you in amongst a group of people where you now can get that family unit and that, that sense of belonging, that sense of, of approval, that sense of, of, of acceptance, that sense of affirmation that you can get it, even though it might not, have, it might not be coming from your biological father, it might not be coming from, from your, your biological family, but God will take you, and I've seen it happen through the years where God will take somebody off the streets that has no one, or the ones that they have, they don't need to be around because they're a bad influence, and take them and set them in the, in the midst of a group of wonderful believers and devote, de- devoted Christians and people that love God, and all of a sudden, this family unit forms, and that family bond is even stronger than the biological blood, blood bond that's there. And so if that's you, please, consider this your family. Consider us your family. Give us the opportunity to come alongside you. Give us the opportunity to love you. Give us the opportunity to influence you in such a way where you're even going to walk in God greater than we did. Amen? So, Moses, I've got to pick and choose where I'm going to go here because the time is, 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 is fleeing this morning very quickly. Moses, Moses is, is, is a type of leader, but but Moses is also a father figure. In addition to that, he is a Christ figure, if we want to put it that way. He is a kind of um, um, symbolically lives his life very much like Jesus. Moses is raised up by God to free his people from slavery and to bring them to a place where they could worship, the, worship their creator. Jesus Christ comes to the earth, God in the flesh comes to the earth to rescue us out of spiritual Egypt, out of our spiritual slavery that we're involved in, and takes us and brings us through that born-again experience, just like they went through the Red Sea, we come through a spiritual Red Sea and come up on the other side different, no longer slaves, but children, amen? And so, so Moses is this type of, of Christ, a type of father figure, a type of leader, and, and we see that, that Moses... Uh, was not raised with his natural father. Moses Moses (laughs) is raised in Pharaoh's household, even though he's a Jew. You guys know the story. uh, The the Pharaoh had given orders that every male child was to be thrown into the river, and his mother puts this basket together and waterproofs it and puts little Moses, the infant Moses, in the river, and he's floating down the river. It just happens to be the time that Pharaoh's daughter is bathing in the river, and she sees this baby, and she falls in love with this beautiful a little baby, and she takes him into Pharaoh's house, and he's raised in Pharaoh's house, which gives him the opportunity to be raised under tremendous uh, education and tremendous leadership. And, and he, he, history tells us that Moses was a master architect as well as a military genius, and, and he's really, he's influenced here way more than he ever could have been influenced under his natural family. But there's something on the inside that tells him that you're different than everybody here. You're different than these people that you are. And eventually he comes to, he understands and realizes who he is and God uses him to rescue his people. Well, uh, later on, uh, you know, in years Moses, when he's about 80 years old, say 80 years old, 80. which today in our standards is, you know, we're pretty much retired and watching television and going to Atlantic city for a roll of quarters. 
Okay. But, but understand the difference in, in how long people lived back then. And Moses just getting started at 80 years old. I, was, I turned 40 years old in Bible school. And I, and I, and I really, I prayed this. I said, Lord, why didn't you? What, are you, what now? I'm going to be 40 years old and I'm just getting started. And, and I literally, and so Moses was 80 years old. All right, I'll shut up. So, so now at 80 years old, Moses now has the opportunity to finally, finally step into the plan of God for his life. And God assigns to him a young man named Joshua. Joshua is probably about 40 years old. Moses is about 80 years old. And you, you study, if you read the books of Moses, you know, you know, Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy, you see that every time there's a major incident in Moses' life, Joshua was there. Joshua sees, Joshua was there when Moses is in that tent that they erected for, for worship, that, that portable church that they carried around from place to place. Mo- Moses would be there worshiping God, talking to God. Even says that Moses spoke to God face to face. And who's there with him? Joshua. Who's there when the major battles were fought? Joshua. Who's there when Moses receives the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai? Joshua. And so Moses has this, this tremendous opportunity to influence this young man. And you see, you can't influence somebody unless you allow them to spend time with you. The other morning, I guess it was Friday morning, I was up, I guess, I don't know, one of my times during the night that I was up. And it was like, at this point, it was about 6.30 in the morning. And I'm in my office at home, and I'm, I'm sitting at a desk, and I'm, I'm reading my Bible, reading the Gospel of Mark. And I hear a knock at the door. Open the door, come in. And who opens the door? My little grandson, River. My, Pastor Michael's youngest son. And uh, he says, what are you doing, Pop? I said, I'm reading my Bible. Oh. So he walks right in. And for a split second, I was like, can I have any peace here? <laughs> a split second. And then I realized, just a split second. And then I realized, wait a second. This is an opportunity to do exactly what I'm going to be preaching on this weekend. So I said, I'm reading my Bible, River. Without saying a word, without me saying a word, he comes and grabs another chair and comes and sits next to me. And I said to him, you read, right? He goes, yeah, I know he does. I said, why don't you read for me, read to me. And so the two of us sat there together, him reading to me almost an entire chapter of Mark chapter 5. And I said to myself, if this is my Father's Day present, that was enough. That was enough. But watch. And I thought to myself, God, thank you. This is a great illustration to use this weekend. It was just such a precious thing. Now, now, did he get all the words right? No, he's calling Galilee, Galilee. And that's okay. But the idea was, without me having to set anything up, he walked in on his grandfather reading the word of God. And that's the things that I want my grandchildren and my children to remember. Because those are the areas that, we're, that we have the opportunity to influence. He left that room understanding, wow, one of the first things that my grandfather does when he gets up in the morning is to read this Bible. And I said to him, you have a Bible? And he goes, no, my parents never bought me one, which isn't true. Because <laughs> I went and asked. So my hope is that that tiny little 
four or five minute incident will leave a mark in his life that he'll just follow. Now I said that to say this. There are many of us, and I'm not saying this to bring condemnation or guilt to anybody because I'm just, I can fall into it too. We place more emphasis on what we say than what we do. And listen to me, what we do speaks so much louder than what we say. Let me ask you this question. Who are you influencing? Moses had the opportunity to influence Joshua. Now watch this now. Which happens many times. The mentor was only able to go so far with the plan of God. As it turns out, Moses never gets to physically get into the promised land. He dies beforehand. Who brings the people into the promised land? Joshua, the one who was influenced by Moses. Joshua now comes on the scene. Watch this now. You see, we can't say that we've influenced anyone unless we've touched generations. Remind me to go back to Joshua at the Jordan River. My father came to this country, knew no one here except for my mother. My mother and father were in arranged marriage. My mother met my father. Two weeks later, they were engaged. Two weeks after that, they were married. By the end of that honeymoon week, my mother's pregnant with me. My family does things very quickly. <laughs> so my father came to this country, didn't know anybody here except for, for my mom, and only knew her a few weeks. But the example he said of hard work, of having, now, we were not believers back then, but we had certain understanding that God would take care of us. And my father has never been the type to shrink away from taking a risk or taking a, a good opportunity. In other words, to, to produce provision for our family. My grandfather, his father, came to this country. He was over 50 years old already. Started from scratch at 50 years old. When I mean starting from scratch, I mean two suitcases, that's it. Came to this country. And by the time he retired 15 years later, he accomplished more and amassed more than most people do in a couple of generations, okay? So that's, that's, that's the influence that's been on my life, okay? Now, I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling, I want to show you because I can't think of a better illustration to use than this because I, I keep thinking of Joshua and Moses and Moses having the responsibility of establishing influence that's going to carry not only into Joshua's life, but also into Joshua's children and the tribes of Israel, okay? So, so I grow up in this household where it's very normal to not think about what I can't do, but to very much think about, hey, we came here with nothing anyway. What difference does it make? What do we got to lose, you know? And so, uh, I opened my first business at 19 years old. I mean a real business. I'm not talking about a lemonade stand. I'm talking about a, a real business, okay? I bought my first piece of property. My wife and I were engaged. We weren't even married yet. We were engaged and we bought our first piece of property just a few blocks behind here in this neighborhood and built a brand new house on that. We got married August the 27th of 1977. We moved into that house at the beginning of November. Brand new home. This is normal for us because I'm looking at my father's example. I'm looking at my grandfather's example. You see what I'm saying? Now, I realize that some of you have not been born in, into those type of, of households and to that. I'm glad I was because honestly, that prepared me. Even though we weren't believers then, that prepared me 
to go into the ministry and not be afraid to take risks and not be afraid to. Now watch this. I'm 19. I open my first business. I buy my first piece of property at 20. By the time I'm 27 years old, we own that house, a business on the other side of town, and a two-family investment building that never cost us a dime. We always made money on it. Okay? Now, God used that. Because when I launched into ministry, I had no experience. I didn't have a father who was a pastor, a grandfather who was a pastor, a great-grandfather who was a pastor. I just went on, this is what you want me to do? Okay, let's do it, and we'll learn. You'll teach me as we go along. And we made plenty of stupid mistakes, but you know what? I found this out, and if you don't remember anything else today, remember this. God will honor the stupid mistakes you make if they're done in faith. But God can't do anything with a person who says, well, I'm afraid. What if? And what if? And what if? And what if? And what if it goes right? Well, what if I lose everything? And what if you gain everything? And what if it doesn't work? And what if it does work? God honors faith. But you've got to be willing to take risks. You've got to be willing to say, hey, look, yeah, there's a good possibility I could fall flat on my face. But you know what? I really believe this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to launch out. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. God will honor that. God will, God will not be able to honor the person that says, I can't do this. Because when you say, I can't do this, especially if it's something that God told you to do, what you're saying is, God, I don't trust you. Are you listening? So let me ask you this question. How are you influencing people? Now, Joshua gets to the Jordan River. Now, the promised land's on the other side of the Jordan you got to cross the Jordan River. There's only one problem. When they got there, it was, in the, it was in the springtime, around April. And that's flood stage for the Jordan River, even to this day. And the, and the Bible commentators tell us that the river was anywhere from 10 to 15 feet deep. And he's got a couple of million people behind him that are counting on him to get them to the other side. Now, he was there when the Red Sea parted. He was there when Moses lifted up his staff. He was there when the wind blew and, and separated the Red Sea and caused it. And the, the original language says that the waters congealed. Do you know what congealed means? Congealed could be anything like frozen ice or jello at the very least. The waters piled up on both sides and they walked across on dry land. Joshua was there. Now he's at the Jordan. There's only one problem. He doesn't have Moses' staff. Moses is gone. And he's got to now rely on the influence that Moses poured into him. Let me rephrase it. He's got to rely on the influence that God poured into Moses, that Moses poured into Joshua. And God says this to him. Cross over to the other side. No boats, no bridge. And God says to him, tell the priests to pick up the Ark of the Covenant. You know what the Ark of the Covenant is? That golden box that God had instructed them to build that they carried from place to place to place for 40 years in the wilderness. It represented the presence of God to them. Tell the priests to pick that up and go stand in the middle of the river. There's only one problem. The water is 15 feet deep. Moses is faced with a decision. Excuse me, Joshua is faced with a decision. What's he going to do? Is he going to allow that water to speak to him and determine what he's going to do? Or is he going to rely on the influence that was poured into him by watching Moses do everything that Moses did and watching Moses interact with God, watching Moses speak to God, hear from God, interact with God? And so he gives a command to the priest, pick up the ark, all of you, and go. 
And the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 3 that as soon as the feet of the priests touched the river, the river split and went back for miles. And all of those people crossed over on dry land. And Joshua said to the priests, stand in the middle of the riverbed. Why? So that all the people could keep their eyes on the ark as they're all crossing over. In fact, he told them, everyone's to space themselves. I think it translates in measurement to 2,000 feet apart. You imagine how long it took all of those to cross over because they could not be next to each other. Why? So that the head of the person in front of you would not block you from keeping your eyes on the presence of God. And they all crossed over it. Every one of them had clear sight of that Ark of the Covenant. Why? What's in that Ark of the Covenant? There's a copy of the Ten Commandments. There's a a little jar filled of manna. You remember the manna in the wilderness? And there's a, a little piece of branch about this big that had miraculously budded and brought forth almonds and all of these things representing the miraculous power of God, the commandments of God, the wisdom of God, all those things that represented those things that people kept their eyes on as they crossed over on dry ground. They get to the other side, and then God gives them another command. He says, now take one man from each of the tribes of Israel, 12 men, and tell them to grab one of the big, gigantic stones that's in the riverbed that has been, was previously covered with water. Take each one of those, and how many stones? 12 stones. Bring them to the opposite side, the other side of the river, and pile them up in a heap as a memorial. So that, watch this now. Talk about influencing generations in the future. And God says this. Tell them. That in the future, generations to come, when the children say, what is this heap of stones? What does it mean? Tell them that's the day that God split the Jordan River and we all crossed over. Let me ask you a question. Are there any memorials in your life? Is there any, 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 anything that's going to cause the generations or even your children now, your grandchildren, your friends? Your, is there anything in your life that they can point to and say, that was a miracle of God? Peter, later on, thousands of years later, writes and refers to us as living stones. That when we come together, we we are this building that glorifies God. Every single one of us are like one of those stones. Every one of our lives is, is a memorial to the influence that God poured through us to affect somebody else's life. How are you influencing your children, your grandchildren, your, your, your neighbors. How are you influencing your coworkers? How are you influencing young Christians in this church? How are you influencing them? Are they going to be able to ask in the future, what does this represent? What does that represent? I'll tell you this story real quick and then we'll move on. I'm going to have to close it up here because the time is over. Many of you have heard me tell, tell the stories about the story about how we put up two Christmas trees at Christmas time. And it stems back, I don't have time to go into the whole story. It stems back to a time in the early, late 80s, early 90s when we had lost everything. This house here, the two family house, the business, cars, everything got wiped out in the bankruptcy. Actually, 1990, September of 1990. That Christmas, we're broke. Well, we had wealth on hand, but we didn't know where it was <laughs> yet. And so that Christmas was rough because we don't know if we're going to be able to get anything for our children. You have four kids. Four little kids don't want to hear, we don't have the money, okay? So, so you believe God, you pray, and you trust God. 
And that, that Christmas, we were getting ready to decorate the house. And I hate artificial trees. I got used to them now because I hate the mess worse than I hate the artificial tree. But back then, I refused to have an artificial tree in the house, but we didn't have any money. So I had to put, I used to call it the big hairbrush. So I put the big hairbrush up in the living room, but I still want, I want a live tree. And I'll never forget, we lived in Seaside Park at that time. And so I came over the bridge and I had, I had little Michael, Pastor Michael, who was li- and I think Mark with me. I had two of them with me. I think it was Pastor Mike, well, little Pastor Mike, and, and Mark. And we came over the bridge and went to a place that was selling Christmas trees on Route 37 there on Tom's River. And I really just went to look because I only had five bucks in my pocket. That five bucks has got to last me. And so we're walking through the lot. And of course, you know how they come out to like sharks, like a, like, a, like a car lot. And I said to the guy, listen, don't waste your time. I, I'm, I'm just looking. Well, what do you need? I said, I'm just looking. And he kept pressing. I said, listen, buddy, I don't have any money. I'm just here to look at the Christmas trees. And I'm not going to cause any trouble. So he says, well, pick one that you like. I said, you know, I don't have. Long story short, he gives me a tree for the five bucks. Nice one. But now I don't have anything to decorate it with. So on the way home, I got very creative, and I thought to myself, I remember when I was a little kid, my dad, one of his, one of his second full-time jobs was he worked in a factory up in North Jersey that made cookies. I can't think of the name of it now. Well, it doesn't matter. And some of the cookies he used to, because, and we had cookies. I mean, we might not have had anything else, but we had cookies. <laughs> we constantly had boxes. Of, and some of the cookies they made were in the shape of Christmas ornaments, and they had a little hole in them. Does anybody remember those? They had a little hole in them. And so I went to, at that time, the A&P was there in Ortley, and for $1.99, you got like two packages of these cookies that looked like little windmills, and they had a hole in them. And so I decorated the whole tree with those cookies with ribbon, and that was our Christmas tree that year. And so we tell the story to our children all the time. We remind them. We start to tell the story to our grandchildren. Why? Because the idea was if they pointed to, when they point to the second Christmas tree, which now has developed into the grandchildren's Christmas tree, we tell them the story why we put two Christmas trees up. Because that was the Christmas that God showed himself mighty in our behalf. That was a Christmas that you hear my wife tell the story how she went to Kmart and an angel was waiting for her outside and said to her, come to my car. And she had a trunk full of toys all age appropriate for all four of our children. It was all that Christmas. And so we, we established that memorial. We established that altar to God's goodness and faithfulness. My question to you is, are you developing any of those things? Are you, are you, do you have any of that stuff to point to? Because they're happening and you're not giving them any, you're not placing any emphasis. You're not giving any importance to those things. And so you're going to lose those opportunities in generations to come. Now, eventually that pile of rocks on the other side of the Jordan, got dispersed and scattered. And so generations after that lost the awareness, lost the passion, lost the, the sense of awe that God would literally split a river at flood stage so that his people can get from one side to the other and walk into the land that was promised to their forefather 430 years prior to that. Church, I've got to stop. I'm way over time. But listen to me. Be aware of your life and be aware. Not to, I'm not saying this to bring guilt or condemnation or even bring pressure, but I am saying this to bring awareness. Be aware of your life to make sure that you're living in such a way 
that your children will be influenced the right way. I will say this, and then I promise I'm going to stop. Resist. I'm talking about moms and dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles. Resist the selfishness that is overtaking our society. And I even see it in Christians. Well, I have a life to live. Well, what about my happiness? Well, what about my needs? What about them? If you entrust yourself to God, he will make sure that you are satisfied and live a life of contentment. But if you constantly are searching for something to satisfy your needs on the inside, it's always, always, always going to come at the expense of someone else's life. I've watched fathers be so selfish and their children go without. I have watched mothers put the emphasis on their own lives, their own careers, their own happiness, their own needs, their own wants at the expense of their children. And it shouldn't be that way because those children are going to grow up and think this is normal and they will produce that same lifestyle in the next generation. Somebody's got to put a stop to it and say that selfishness stops here. Somebody's got to say that immorality stops here. That addiction, that addictive lifestyle stops here. Somebody's got to take that stance. It might as well be us. Amen? Amen. Stand up. We have to go. If you need prayer for anything, whether it's touching the subject we we just talked about, whether it's anything else, if you have sickness going on in your body, if you have a very, very serious financial uh, need and challenge that you're facing, if, if your marriage, your family is being under attack, please don't just go home. Come up front. There'll be people up here to pray with you and pray for you, and then go home leaving this place different today. Amen? Amen. Happy Father's Day. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.